Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. It's Resurrection Sunday. Thanks for joining us. He is risen. Good morning, everybody. You are looking so nice today. Ready for your brunches or whatever traditions you have in your family? Uh, One of the traditions I grew up with is every Easter, my dad would hide our Easter baskets. And when I say hide... I mean, it would literally take us four to five hours to try to find these baskets. So I thought it was a brilliant idea to bring that tradition into our own family, except for the fact that after about 20 minutes, because my wife has too much mercy, she would tell our kids where the baskets were. So she ruined that for me. But today we get to meet a person. Her name is Mary Magdalene, who isn't looking for an Easter basket. She is looking for Jesus, someone whom she loves, but he cannot be found. But thankfully, in his mercy, he reveals himself to her, and the ripple effects still affect us today. In fact, if you're following on your notes with me this morning, you're more than welcome to do that. You don't have to do that, but the impact of Easter still reverberates today. And if you'd like to follow along, we're going to look at a really cool story. We already got to experience it a little bit on John chapter 20, verse 1. If you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we say this every week. We have Bibles in the seat underneath you there, those black Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that home today as our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. It's on page 880 of those black Bibles. Now, the reason I chose this story to talk about today is because it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, but also because it's some incredible literature. Like, if you want a good story, this has it all. It's got mystery, it's got sadness, it's got joy, it's got triumph, it's got so much more. Who needs Yellowstone or whatever the latest show is when we've got God's word here? So if you're ready, we're going to pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, and that would be Sunday, this is why we worship together every Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, I don't know what you're imagining right now from this, what the tomb looks like or the stone. I had the chance when I was in college to visit Israel. It was pretty incredible, and it wasn't what I expected. Here's actually a picture of what the tombs would have looked like. So this giant half-ton stone is rolled over the tomb, but inside of the tomb, it looks like this. There's little shelves that they cut out in these tombs, and it's more like a room that you can fit in, and they would place the bodies on these shelves, and then the stone would be rolled over it for a couple of reasons. They didn't want robbers to come and steal stuff, and they didn't want the smell to get out. So that's what's happening here. He's in this tomb, but Mary shows up, and the, the stone has been removed. Now, the Bible in the New Testament is written in the Greek language, and the word for removed there doesn't mean just moved away. If you're following on your notes there, it suggests the stone was moved with an unnatural force. In other words, this wasn't just somebody rolling it away. This was forced open by some other power. Now, the question I want to come back to is, who is Mary Magdalene? Well, in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we learn about Mary. She was a woman who was possessed by seven demons. Not a great way to live. And Jesus set her free from that. So you can imagine how much love 
Mary had for Jesus, who had done so much for her. No wonder she comes to the tomb at the earliest possible hour. You see, they weren't able to finish the burial rites for Jesus because the Sabbath day had come. And so she comes at the earliest hour wanting to finish the burial rites for him. Verse 2, she finds nothing's there. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John speaking about himself. Don't you just love that? Do you know Jesus? Then you're the one he loves. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Grave robbers were common in those days. She jumps to the conclusion, maybe somebody came and stole his body as Springfieldians were very familiar with this idea. Some of you know that the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln's body was once stolen. It was held for ransom. The nation was just Outrage! They couldn't believe what had happened. They were scared. They wouldn't receive it. But somebody paid the ransom and the body came back. And his body is now buried under tons of concrete right here in Springfield, Illinois. Now that shock that the nation felt from Lincoln's body being stolen is only a little bit probably what Mary felt when she came to the tomb and discovered he was no longer there. Now, we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, right? We know that's good news. There's some empty tomb here. That means something great has happened. But let's put ourselves in her shoes today and just imagine how devastating this must have been. The one she wanted to properly bury, to give him the honor that was due, is now gone. This is terrible news. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Verse 4. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love the details of the Bible, right? John must have been a long-distance runner. Peter, more of a fullback, only good for about 50 yards or so, right? Verse 5, he, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, John makes sure to describe exactly what they see when they come to the tomb. And if you're following, what John and Peter see are the clothes wrapped around him were completely undisturbed. Again, we don't get this sense so much in English, but in Greek, think of it like this. Basically, his body just vanished, and the clothes were remaining there just as they had been. One person, one of my favorite scholars by the name of John Stott, described it this way. It was like a discarded chrysalis from which the butterfly had emerged. Have you ever seen that? This is a chrysalis, right? That's how the clothes looked. They weren't all messed up. Literally, it just looked like somebody had just vanished from them and they remained the same. Specifically important is the face cloth. This cloth that would have wound around Jesus' head, it literally still looked like Jesus' face on it. Something strange is happening here. Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, why did John believe? I'll say I think it's because of the face cloth, right? Nobody is going to, no grave robber isn't going to like mess up the clothes here. And actually, they were worth quite a bit of money and take them away. So he believed. Now, Interestingly, if you've ever read John's Gospels, one of the key words in his Gospel is this word see, or to, or he says he saw. 
And John uses three different ways to understand that word see. The first way is simply to look in. We saw that in verse five, just to look at something. The second way is to look carefully at something, to observe something. And we saw that in verse six as they're observing these clothes. But in verse eight, the word see means to perceive with intelligent comprehension. I will give you an example. I'm going to show you a picture right now. You can look at it. It just looks like a bunch of colors as we look at it. Now, I want you to observe it a little more carefully. And the first person who can tell me what it actually says, I will give a candy bar to. Anybody? It's a, no. (laughs) It's not Jesus. It's an Easter bunny that says 2023. Can nobody see this? Yes, good. (laughs) Candy bar after the service. Note to self, bad illustration, right? (laughs) John is beginning to observe but not fully understand and comprehend. You can take that down, otherwise nobody's going to listen to me anymore. (laughs) This is why he includes in verse 9, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I would just say, I love that detail because there's no way the disciples make this story up, as some people claim. They look like total losers and idiots in this story. They're as surprised as anybody that Jesus has not in the tomb. And now we come to this encounter with Mary. Let's look at verse 10 together. It says, Then the disciples went back to where they were, staying And then verse 11 starts, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now, I don't know what you picture when you hear crying there. It's not just some tears going down her cheek. She's wailing. She is devastated. And I just want to say I I love this because there's nothing wrong with sincere sorrow, especially in a world that is so broken. How many more children do we need to see shot in a school to not get to the point where we are just weeping with sorrow, lamenting. This world is not how it's supposed to be. Mary weeps, and she represents all of us who have ever experienced loss. Now I would invite you to read verses 11 and 12 out loud on your notes there with me. It says, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, I hope it's okay. I'm going to nerd out a little bit with you here. If you're an Old Testament scholar, you might, in those words, notice something similar to something in Exodus chapter 25, where God tells Moses how to build the Ark of the Covenant the place where the priest once a year would meet with God and offer the sacrifice of atonement. Here's what God says to Moses there. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Where are the angels sitting? At the foot 
and at the head of Jesus, empty clothes. And what I think is happening here is no accident. Jesus is the final atonement, the final sacrifice for our sin. If you're following on your notes, Jesus is the final atonement where sacrifice is fulfilled. Here's some good news. You know what the resurrection means? We no longer have to make sacrifices for our forgiveness. The lamb of God has come. Behold, the one who takes away the sin of the world. As he said on the cross, it's finished. You don't have to do good works. Same thing as sacrifice, right? You don't have to try to prove yourself to God. He has made a way where there was no way. Verse 13, the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? Can you just imagine from the perspective of heaven, how could you possibly be crying? This is the greatest day of all time. They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. There has been a lot written, believe it or not, about why Mary cannot recognize Jesus here. Here's what I honestly think. If you're following on your notes, Mary can't recognize Jesus because she's focused on her loss. Anybody relate to this? I really can't blame Mary too much here. In times when I'm going through loss or sorrow, it's very hard to see Jesus because all I can see is my circumstances. A small example, this summer I noticed my tricep was disappearing. And I went and saw a doctor and they're like, you need neck surgery. Now this is my eighth major surgery in my short life. I like to consider myself as still young. I know you're thinking, no, that's not true. But. And I, I just went into a dark place. I was just like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all this happening to my body. I was focused on my loss. I'll never get the tricep back. Poor me. Instead of fixing my eyes on Jesus and all of the great things and good gifts that I do have. Then Jesus asked the same question the angels did, but one of his own as well. Verse 15, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary's guess here that he is the gardener is so wrong on so many levels and yet it's so right on so many levels. You see, the resurrection means the beginning of a new creation. Adam was given the task of cultivating the garden, but he failed. Jesus, we're told, is the second Adam. He's charged with bringing creation back to how it is supposed to be. And with his resurrection, what happens is a beginning where he begins to uproot the thorns and the weeds of this world, ushering in a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth, a new spring. I just want to say this to you. Maybe the Bible is a confusing book when you try to read it, but I will just say everything in the Bible points to Jesus from the beginning to the resurrection to the end of time. And now we come to what I think is one of the most dramatic moments in scripture. I love the opening there. We did, this gives me the chills. Can we read verse 16 out loud together on our notes there? It says, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You just got to say some Aramaic today, right? That's great. If you're following on your notes, in one of the most powerful moments in scripture, 
Upon hearing her name, Mary immediately recognizes Jesus. Now, how many times has she heard her name in the last few years? Probably a hundred. And I wonder if this isn't like when you get a phone call from a friend you haven't talked to in a long time, if you still use phones. I don't know if we make calls anymore. But you know immediately who that person is, right? You may have not heard their voice for five years, but you know right away. And hearing her name, though impossible in her mind, it was unmistakable. And she rushes to him, and she begins to worship him, falling at his feet. Verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, or cling to me is a better word, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, why is he telling her this? This seems a little harsh, right? Well, I think the rest of verse 17 explains it. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Holding on to him would have been natural. It's what we would have all wanted to do, to cling to Jesus. But Jesus says, look, I got work for you, Mary. You can't be the only one who gets to hear about this incredible news. Mary's not upset with this. She's commissioned. She's got business in hand. And here's what I love so much about this story. If you're following on your notes, Mary gets to be the first person in history to share the gospel. Don't cling to me. There's others who need to know about this incredible news, and I want you to be the one to tell them. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen, there's that word again, the Lord. Notice, no longer teacher, Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I don't know if you got your own Bible, but if you like writing in your Bible, verse 18 right there, that's really the essence of Christianity. I have seen the Lord. That is what a follower of Jesus has done. Now, when I say that, remember what we talked about with the three uses of see. I know some people see the Lord, right? They observe him. They know about Jesus. Other people, maybe they have observed Jesus. They've come to church. They've read the Bible. But what she's talking about here is that third understanding. She has comprehended who he is. He is the Lord. He is God, and I have seen him. Seeing the Lord doesn't mean just believing he existed. It doesn't mean just going to church and going through religious motions. Seeing the Lord means understanding, comprehending that he is the one I will follow because he alone is God. And that's the end of the story. I love this story. Tremendous story, isn't it? And as I close today, I just want to offer you four observations that I was struck by this week with Jesus' encounter with Mary. And I'd like you to consider these this Easter, if you would. Maybe you can talk about them at your brunch. But here's the first thing I just noticed, is that the resurrection breaks down the barriers of this world. It's very significant to me that the very first person Jesus appears to is a woman. Not to one of the apostles, not to the greats of society, not to the priests, but to a particular woman, a woman who had been an outcast, a woman who had been demon-possessed, set aside by the rest of society. Listen, if somebody in the first century was like, okay, let's invent a story about a guy who rises from the dead and claims to be God, this would be the last person you would choose to be the first person to share this story. And yet that's exactly who Jesus chooses. And not only does he appear to her, he then commissions her. 
You're going to be the one to declare the good news of my resurrection. What a great comfort that should be to us. But it should also be a challenge to us. In a world today, more than ever, that creates barriers over race and religion and social status and politics and you name it. Jesus breaks that down and sees people as people. Jesus sees people as people. And that is, if we are followers of Jesus, how we are to see people as people. Paul put it this way in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, in the kingdom of God, there are no second-class citizens. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Are we treating people, Christians, as Jesus treats people? That's the first observation. Second thing I can't help but notice is that this encounter, that the resurrection opens up a new relationship for us with God. Jesus says just one word, Mary. Mary. And on hearing her name, she knows exactly who it is. When I was young, whenever I heard my full name, <laughs> Stephen William Patsia, right? I would get some fear. No fear here for Mary. Imagine the love that filled her heart when she heard her name. She knew his voice. It reminds me of what Jesus promised us in John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you know his voice? Are you one of his sheep? I will ask you straight up, have you heard him call your name? Not call you to church, not call you to a religion. Have you heard him call your name personally? Listen, if you don't understand this, you will miss the whole point of what Jesus accomplished. If you're on your notes again, the resurrection is personal in its application. In other words, he did this for Mary. He went to the cross for Mary, but he also did it for you. Or you could put me in that blank there if you want. The whole point of everything we do here comes down to this idea. Jesus doesn't create a new religion. He creates an opportunity for every human being to come to him in a personal relationship because that is what he has desired for you from the very beginning. To know you by name. I love also the relationship changes with the disciples here in verse 17. Maybe you saw this. Before the resurrection, he would call them his students, his friends. But now, how does he refer to the disciples? Brothers. Welcome to my family. The family of God, where we now refer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because of the great news of the resurrection, friend. A new relationship has sprung to life. You will never comprehend that third meaning of C. You will never see Easter for what it is until you recognize that he came for you to be in a personal relationship with you. Now, the third thing I notice in this encounter is that the resurrection gives us hope even in a broken world. Jesus went to the great adventure called death and he triumphed over it. So what does that mean for you? Why is Easter such a big deal? Why do we dress up once a year 
and come to church. Because today validates every other promise the Bible makes, including the promise that one day Jesus will return and wipe every tear from our eyes. All sadness and sorrow will be gone. He will create a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell with him in person forever and ever. That's the message of Easter. And so we can declare with Paul, similar to what we sang earlier this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. Can you read this with me out loud? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're following, if Christ has been raised, we have victory over sin and death. If Christ has not been raised, there is no hope for any of us here. But he was raised, and we have victory. But once again, I just got to say it, this comes down to a personal decision. A personal decision about what you believe happened at the cross and in the resurrection, and whether you will choose to join him in that victory. But future hope isn't all we have. I think sometimes that's what we tend to focus on, right? Well, one day we'll get rid of this terrible world. That's not what Jesus thought. He said the kingdom of God is here and now. That's why in the very next verse, I love what Paul writes, verse 58 there. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, what does he say? Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Stay firm in your faith, in your unshakable convictions in Jesus, knowing that as we follow the way of Jesus, which is what we're doing here at this church, he will lead us to the path of true joy, true life, right here and right now. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, I lived my life in vain. I don't think any of us want to waste our lives like that, do we? Nobody wants to get to the end of their lives and say, oh, I've wasted my chance. No. I want to get to the end of my life and say, I stood firm. I lived a life of meaning. I lived a life of faith and obedience. And I discovered on that life that it was the life of joy. It was the life of happiness. It was a life of fulfillment. If you're following again on your notes, if Christ has been raised, it means today we live with hope and purpose here and now. So friend, if you're here this morning, don't waste your life. Don't pursue things that are gonna end up in the dumpster in a few years. Pursue a life that truly matters, that has purpose. God has called you into this incredible thing. It's a new movement where we get to, we get to follow him and bring the kingdom to this world. Finally, the last thing I noticed from this encounter is that we are called to share the resurrection with others. Have you ever noticed when you find something you really love, maybe a new recipe, a new book, a, a new TV show, a new movie, what's the first thing you want to do? You got to see this, Right? I've got to share this good thing with you. And Jesus is like, I know you found this good thing, Mary, but don't cling to me. Go share this with others. And this is the thing. The resurrection isn't just for me. It's not just for you. 
It's for everyone. And Mary, I'm sending you to a group of broken men and women who are hiding out of fear in an upper room right now because they need to know this good news. Don't cling to me, but go and share the gospel. I will just say some of you I know are here right now because you were invited by somebody. Maybe your mother-in-law, I don't know. But I just want you to hear, they invite you because they love you. And they want you to experience the hope that the resurrection provides. So know that you are loved. Jesus, I'll say it again. I just want you to hear this. He did not start a new religion. He started a new way of life that can begin right here and right now for you today, where you can live a life without fear of death, without shame over sin, without guilt and the mistakes you've made in the past. He has come to give life, life to the full. And he's inviting you today by name, by name into this life with him. Now, I certainly don't have any power to convince people of this. But because of the resurrection, he is alive and well, and he is still working in this world today. So I would be remiss not to ask you today, if you're following on your notes, are you living in the power and hope of the resurrection? You know the answer to that. Listen, I'm not asking you today if you believe in Jesus. Lots of people believe in Jesus. I'm asking you if you are following Jesus. If you can declare with your mouth today as Mary did, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is calling you by name right here, right now to come. Follow me. And I will give you life now and forever. If you're hearing your name being called this morning, I'd invite you to pray with me right now. We can all bow our heads and pray and receive the gift that he has come to give you. Lord, as we pray right now, and there's someone in this room whose name you are calling, personal name, would they pray with me? Jesus, I declare today that you are the Lord, that you are God. That there's no other explanation to what you've accomplished than that. And that you are calling me by name right now. So today, right here, right now, I give up my old way of life. I turn from chasing after things that will bring no fulfillment or satisfaction or meaning. And I turn towards you to the cross of Christ, and to the resurrection that guarantees victory. I set aside my old life, and I pick up a new life, a life together with you, a life you invite me into. My sins are forgiven. I am free. Give me the courage and the power to now follow in your footsteps, believing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.